I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Jen. She has selective mutism. Let's talk about it. Well, we're going to be uh, talking with our new friend Jen today. And, and the one thing I will say is I'm glad we'll be talking with Jen. Um, because if we had asked Jen to come on the show when she was struggling with what we're going to be focusing on the most, I think, today, um, it would make for a really boring podcast, I think. I don't know a whole lot oh, about what we're getting into. Interesting thing to say. But I, I'm just guessing, based on the name... Of the the I guess you would call it maybe a disorder I don't know Jim what would you what would you call selective mutism Dude I was gonna say selective oh, mutism uh, you knew it <laughs> Oh fuck <laughs> I was it, gonna I was gonna interrupt you and then I was like I'll just <laughs> let you finish and uh, then I didn't do it and I would have sounded <laughs> fucking smart yeah, The guys dude. the guys didn't know what we were talking about today But Jim what is selective mutism Is it a is it a disorder Is it uh, like what I mean, It's not a I, I wouldn't call it a disease Like what do you what do you how do you categorize selective mutism yeah, I would say it's like a extreme social phobia that's often found mostly in children. Mm. And it's where a person might speak in some settings, but not others. Mm. Okay, interesting. Okay, so okay. we had one person on the podcast before, but we didn't talk to them. I think only you did, Jerry. That's right. It was just me. It was in Montreal years and years and years ago. That's yeah. right. And she didn't talk. I listened to the episode and she didn't talk for the first Five years of her life. That's right. Yeah, and probably not for the first five minutes of the podcast because I wouldn't shut the fuck up. That's yeah, right. that's what true. I was going to say, I was like, as you were saying, I, five, I, I roasted myself as he said five. <laughs> I was like five minutes of the show, uh, and uh, as as I continue to do so here with Jen. Um, so Jen, maybe maybe before you take us all the way back to your experience with selective mutism, give us a little bit of an introduction because um, I've, I it's very interesting to speak with you, knowing that you went through this very unique uh, social phobia, but then as a, as a grown woman, you've gone on to, um, I mean, your profession is basically helping people through situations probably similar to someone who's dealing with like, you know, selective mutism or any other kind of, um, you know, anxiety or whatever. So g- give us an introduction, Jen. Yeah. So I'm Jen and I've been working as a psychotherapist for a couple of years now. Um, and uh, yeah, I grew up with selective mutism and um, it lasted until I was about 17. So it was pretty, pretty long span of time to have something like that. I'm, uh, I'm really interested in, like, I, I, I don't want to ask this question yet about the, maybe the connection between your experience with selective mutism and, you know, what you've chosen to do as a profession. I'm sure there's a connection there. I'd like to get into that later, but um, in, uh, I'm fascinated by that by you now having that um, sort of like lens to view your own kind of experience through um, what, where, where does all that start for you in your experience uh, as a child? And um, I'm sure that, that that's a very different experience for you than it was probably for like your parents um, and how that all evolves. So like, where does that kind of story all start with you? And selective mutism. Yeah, I there's still a bit of mystery as to exactly why I had selective mutism, but I would guess that it was a combination between me being a very, very sensitive kid and a lot of the adults in my life at the time didn't really know how to handle that, didn't know how to um, help me with that. And something that stuck out to me was a lot of adults would say that I was too sensitive. And I think the combination of being very sensitive and being told over and over again that you're too sensitive um, kind of like put me in this situation where I felt like 
I couldn't trust my own version of events. I couldn't trust my own take on reality. Mm -hmm. So like, I was just in this chronic state of kind of like confusion, like, oh, like other people have more valid an experience of life than I do. So Mm -hmm. I, I very much had a hard time trusting myself. Mm-hmm. Which is something that you can't even like you're not you can't consciously you're not consciously understanding because obviously as a kid, you know, understanding what of what a valid life experience is is you know, you can't even you can't even conceptualize that. Um yeah. I feel like I still can't even conceptualize right, right. that as a 35-year-old I mean, man. I'm a <laughs> I'm a relatively new parent and I am I am fascinated my daughter's almost a year and a half and I'm and I was about to say 17 months, and I said a year and a half because I know that you guys. Thank you. My man, my man, what's you, up? Let's you guys go, judge, buddy. You guys judge me when I say good months. stuff. Thank um, God. <laughs> and she just started daycare, and I'm just like really fascinated with like all the variables that go mm. into interacting with a child, and like how and nature versus nurture, and and all the ways in which you know, as a father and my wife is a mother, how and and like the environments that we put her in, like her daycare, and how all these things. Kind of swirl around to to influence the way that she is and will be, mm-hmm. and um, and how to do that as like positively as possible, um, and trying to think about like all like it's just it's a very fascinating, um, it's just a, a fascinating sort of uh, thing to think about how these seemingly small things like saying oh you're being too sensitive could actually be you know, these gigantic, have they have these gigantic influences on you and how you grow. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I mean, I, maybe you don't know, but like when you said, when you say that, like when, when you were here, when adults were saying this to you, it was making me think about my nephew who's, um, who's six. And, you know, I don't often hear anyone say to him, like, hey, Hudson, you are really sensitive. But what I might actually hear is like, he'll be in earshot and someone might say, yeah, you know, Hudson's a bit sensitive. Mm-hmm. So like, do you feel like these were things that people were like, l- like directly saying at you or were it things that you just kind of heard, you know, time and time again with the adults kind of just not even really paying attention to the fact that like, yeah, actually these, like, these words are going to reach your ears and, and you're going to make meaning of it. Right. Yeah. I think it was both. I heard from afar. And I also, I also was told that directly quite a few times because I I would have quite big reactions to things that other kids maybe wouldn't react as much to. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, what age are we talking here? Like when, you know, when this began, these sorts of hearing and and thinking these sorts of thoughts. Yeah. I, I think it, became noticeable when I went to school because I didn't speak at school. So mm. like I spoke at home totally fine. And that's one thing about selective mutism is that when you're when you're comfortable, when you feel kind of like safe and secure, then you talk totally fine. But in other settings where you're feeling a bit unsafe or not sure, uh that just that's when you kind of shut down. Mm. So at school kind of showed up and didn't talk to the other kids or to the teachers. I, I was curious how that evolved. I had a, a friend that I grew up with who had something, uh, probably a, a similar experience, and we were in sports together. and And they didn't um, speak at sports, but we knew that they spoke at at home. And so it was always so interesting, like being a kid trying to understand, like who is this person that you know, we spend all day with that doesn't speak to us, but we know can speak and. Why, like why is that? And it never really made sense to us as as that person's um, you know peer at the time. But I was curious for you um, because you know I've only listened to that one conversation that Jer had with that um, that guest on this show so many years ago. And you know I wouldn't even categorize my friend's experience as selective mutism because I don't really you know it probably was that, but I don't I don't know a lot about it. So I, I, I'm curious about like selective mutism in and of itself like what what does that really mean you can speak but you're you're just not speaking yeah so i there was a very physical component for me where i would get like this sensation in my throat like my throat was closing up 
Mm. And it would be like a choking sensation. So something that would often happen was like before school, I would be so anxious to go to school that I would start gagging because I would be like, my throat would close up so much. And so I would have to like drink water or like, I usually like carried like candies around because if if I could like suck on something or like sip water, then like I could kind of, could kind of manage, but it was like, I was really stuck in this like freeze terrified state. Like the adrenaline just was Mm. like, it just wouldn't stop. So it it was like a very chronic fear that just, I just didn't warm up to situations. One one thing that I imagine about that, 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 that seems really, really difficult. um, And something again, that I didn't really understand as a kid was that, you know, like there are, when you're in school, um, you know, there are components to school where, where, you know, you're, you're called on to answer a question or something like that. And without like a, uh, you know, as a, as a 34 year old guy now who has friends my age who are teachers in school, um, I imagine a lot of teachers don't really understand or realize that there's this thing called selective mutism and that kids live with it. But, you know, they might just see that person as being like really shy and they're trying to like pull them out of their shell and get them to answer questions. Um, what what was it like, like being sort of called on or or like, or having people try to like get you to speak? Because like, obviously it's a noticeable thing when somebody doesn't speak at all and, and you're trying to get them to speak because you, I guess, know that they are capable of doing it. Um, but like, what is it like being that person who is sort of being prompted and prodded and like told that they have to speak or called on in, in a situation to speak in front of other people? Yeah, actually, uh, I think the other students in my classes were actually quicker to understand. So they would cover for me if a teacher didn't quite understand. So if a teacher were to try and get me to speak, they would step in and say, oh, she doesn't talk, you know, like, we we got this, we'll, we'll wow. speak for her, or yeah. we'll yeah, do whatever we need to do to make sure that this goes okay. Um, but yeah, like, I would sometimes answer, um, like, close-ended questions, yes or no, and sometimes not. <clears throat> and there were some things that I could do, like, um, if I had to do, like, a presentation in front of the class, I could read out something that was already written but I I wouldn't be able to like ad-lib or speak freely in the moment (laughs) it's interesting because it doesn't because even though it's called selective mutism it doesn't really sound all that selective doesn't really sound like it's really your choice (laughs) selective makes it seem like you have autonomy over when you do and when you don't but it doesn't really seem like you do especially the physical you know component of it Um, I find anxiety is extremely physical I often feel Mm. like I often Feel like I'm getting sick before I realize that may- maybe I'm just feeling anxious. Um, so like, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting that that's what it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a bit of a misnomer, I think, because it really it really isn't. And I would say too that like it wasn't even as though I had thoughts in my head that I just wasn't saying. I was so terrified that I had a blank mind. So if someone were to ask me a question, I would legitimately not have anything to communicate in that Whoa. moment. I would be so just like freaked out that, yeah, like that there was, there was no selecting whether I was speaking Mm. or not. So so like, I'm just trying to, um, like when you, when you were talking about the physical sensation of like your throat literally closing over, it Mm. reminded me of when I was, when I was around that same age, I went through this um, period of time and it was actually quite extended. It was like, I don't know. Uh, six or seven years where, um, you know, I take 40 pills a day for, for my CF. Um, and I went through about six or seven years where I couldn't swallow pills. So, so any pills that I had to take, I would have to like, I would have to like either crush them up or break them open and pour it into like yogurt or applesauce or whatever. I don't, I have no fucking clue how that came to be. Like, I don't know where that sort of phobia began and, and what that block was, but that like mental block where I, no matter how hard I tried, I could not just simply swallow some orange juice with a pill in my mouth. Yet I could take a spoonful of frosted flakes and a bunch of milk and, and 
stuff my mouth full of it and barely chew it and swallow that down, no problem. Right? So it's like there's this weird sort of like, what's going on there? Why is your body just going, nope, I'm, I'm, I'm cutting this off. Trauma. This is not going to happen. Now, well, yeah, I mean, obviously, like some kind of, some kind of trauma is based, is, it's, it's based on that. But the, like the, 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 psychoso- the, the psychosomatic kind of physical um, manifestation of that to me is just, it's, it's such a wild trip. Now, while this was happening, obviously my parents were like, well, that's a fucking problem, Jared. Like we, we can't be sending you to school and you not be taking your medications because that's going to that's gonna end you up in the hospital. So we have to figure this out. And I, I ended up going to see... Um, you know, psychotherapists and, 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 you know, we, we did everything under the fucking sun to try to get me to swallow pills. So with you, you start going to school and, and, you know, you're showing up, you're, you're at home and you're, you're talking and you're communicating with your family and maybe your friends outside of school, outside of, you know, outside the house or whatever. But when you're at school and this is happening, obviously your teachers must be communicating to your family, your, your parents, like, Hey, Jen's not speaking. (laughs) Um, Is this normal? And your parents are obviously going to be like, well, she won't shut the fuck up at home. Um, like, <laughs> we don't understand. So what were, like, at what point did your, at what point did people tr- try to start to intervene to find some sort of resolution here or try to get to the bottom of, like, what was going on? Yeah, there were teachers for sure who reached out and, like, the one thought I might have auditory processing disorder because I just wasn't responding to questions or things like that. So they thought, well, maybe she just can't hear what we're saying um, and other teachers who would send home reports saying things like, uh, I encourage you to like encourage Jen at home, work on her confidence because she's not speaking at school. Um, but as far as interventions go, I, I didn't really get any kind of help that way. Um, yeah, nothing, nothing really, really happened there on the home front. It was more so at school where teachers were noticing and it was kind of like, there wasn't like a systemic, all right, here's the plan. All the teachers here, here, please kind of work together on this. It was more like each individual teacher would decide how they were going to deal with it and handle it. Mm. What was that like for you when, you know, you have all these different people like approaching in these different ways, probably trying to be helpful, but, but I imagine there's just a lot also of different... Just, ramping yeah, it up. just like, yeah. what the Making fuck? it so much worse. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Some people were were uh, they were very compassionate with it, and others really didn't understand, of course, um, and thought maybe I was doing this like on purpose or refusing to speak or something like that. But um, yeah, overall, uh, no one really knew what to do. I would mm-hmm. say <laughs> with with your in, in in regards to your your peers and your friends at school, you know, you said that that they would step in for you and, and they would, you know, they would kind of have your back and say, you know, this, uh, oh, like I'll answer that or Jen doesn't talk on me. I'll do that. Did that. So it sounds, I'm, I'm gathering and making an assumption from that, that, you know, you had friends at school. Did you communicate with your mm. friends at school in the times where you, like, you weren't in the classroom? Like where, like were there, were there places at school um, I guess in a broader question, like where else did this affect you? Like, did this affect you everywhere outside of the home or were there pockets of places where, you know, you felt comfortable and that you were able to, you were able to speak and communicate with people? Yeah, I'd say like there were like very little pockets of of people that I would feel comfortable talking to. But at school, I pretty much didn't talk to anybody. There was one student who I eventually got comfortable speaking sometimes to. Um, but most of the time, like I was, I grew up in a very small town and um, our school was quite small, so small that our class always had to have a split grade because there weren't enough of us to just be mm-hmm. a class in of ourselves. And I was with the same people for nine years in this one school. And I didn't talk to almost all of the students in the class. It was like one student that I eventually felt comfortable talking to. And did mm-hmm. you feel like you had relationships? Because I know, because I, 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 I know the person that Brian was referencing earlier, I know as well. And I, I it actually sounds wild because like to the, to the, to the, to anybody listening, it's like, I never heard them speak. I don't know if you ever did, or if you did, I know it was very little. And I was about to say, well, Brian knows them way better than I do. But then like realizing that 
both of us maybe never heard them speak. I'm going, I, I'm, I'm think, even though I know, I, I still think you know them way better mm-hmm. because you spent, spent a lot of time. time yeah. And even though there's not a verbal communication, I know that, that there's relationships there that are forming outside of verbal communication. Like what did that, what did that look like? For you and like, yeah. Your, like or, or yeah, like, cause that, cause, cause that's a fat, that's fascinating to me. Cause yeah. I always, again, I, I'm like, I'm at every turn, I'm like trying not to say their name because as it comes yeah. out of my mouth. Um, but clearly, say their name, say their first name and their last name. <laughs> but clearly, <laughs> but clearly, they had relationships with people that they did not speak to mm. that were, that were much greater than the one they had with me, which they also didn't speak to, you know? For sure. I mean, it's a, a like just to sort of answer that in part for you. Um, like, I had, I feel like I had a relationship with a person because I spent so much time with them. Um, you know, it would it have been a stronger relationship if we were talking um, to one another? I, I think, I think so. Um, so I get what you're saying from that point, but sometimes, you know, there's just this like, there's this like feeling of just spending time together with someone without saying anything. Yeah. And like, feel bo- I mean, body language them, you know? is a form of communication that is extraordinarily strong mm-hmm. that you do not need words for. There's, there's like, then there's like that, un- that sort of intangible energy of like being in a space with someone that you relate to or have some sort of mm-hmm. relation with it, versus someone that is a complete stranger in that same space. Totally. So, I, will, I will say one thing that, and, and like, <laughs> you know, not to talk too much about this, this friend that we had growing up, but um, this friend that I had growing up um, spoke for, you know, a, a period of time, probably three or four years when like we were five to eight probably, and then stopped speaking. Mm. And so I had heard them speak before that. And then, and then it grew into to just like smaller sounds, and then no sounds at all, and um, and you know eventually after probably ten or ten or twelve years of that, then they started speaking again too. Um, but there's a lot of like there is a really, I don't know, it's it's this thing of just like spending time with someone and knowing them, like knowing part of their story that brings you mm. closer together with them. And um, it's funny as as kids, like speaking to the point about kids that you were bringing up, Taylor. Like, like I didn't think anything was wrong with this person. Right. Like I knew that they didn't speak, but I didn't like look down on them for that or think that mm-hmm. that was like I was just like, oh, that's part of who they are, and that's fine. And you know, I still consider myself to be friends with them, even though we don't really talk or yeah. don't talk at all. And that's fascinating. <laughs> so that's so that's like our and again. I, like apologies for talking about this other person, but like that's our side of the coin of having having that experience. From your from where you sit, what is that experience for you? I um I had an experience in grade nine where actually in my high school there were four of us who had selective mutism and we all kind of were drawn to each other, like just kind of like organically. We all started like sitting together at lunch. Yeah. But we didn't talk to each other. And we also weren't like communicating non-verbally either. We were so like terrified that like we were just like avoiding eye contact and like we were like scared of each other, but still like we felt like we had something in common. <laughs> that's so and uh, that's so good. I hope it's so I hope, cute. I hope, I hope, yeah, I yeah. know. I was gonna say it's cute. I was like, that might be offensive, but like, do you think the teachers were like, they're banding together? <laughs> <laughs> they're getting stronger. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they're witches. Man, that would be uh, honestly like I have I have a I have a weird relationship with like introversion and extroversion where like I love being around people but not necessarily talking to people like I was saying to my friends the other day being on the the underground in in London and like being sandwiched in a small space where you have headphones on and you're like bumping up bumping up against people and you're around people but you don't have to talk to them that's amazing like that's my favorite thing and like thinking of you guys just sitting at that table and knowing that you don't have to talk to one another but like do you have this feeling of like camaraderie we're still here, we're here. is we're like together. such a oh it makes my heart feel so warm <laughs> yeah like we've kind of built that over time so like totally. at first we didn't communicate in any way to each other we kind of like sat next to each other and I, I suppose that's a form of communication we're showing that we want to be in the same space together mm-hmm. um and then one mm-hmm. of the friends um during lunch she would kind of like start like taking some of my like fish crackers like 
and, and I, I didn't know what to do about that. I was like, oh man, like, is that, does that mean we're friends or does that mean we're not friends? I'm not sure. And like, there was like this anxiety about that. And then I started bringing like an extra bag of fish crackers to school. And like, we'd start like sharing the fish crackers. And over time we built this comfort and um, <laughs> over time, she actually started talking to me first and then just experiencing like a slow, gradual mm. building of comfort. We became friends. And what's interesting about that is that like once we became completely comfortable, it's we were both just we had full personalities. Like I, I think mm. one mistake is people often assume that people with selective museum are are quiet, like they've got quiet personalities. Mm. Whereas I'd say, no, they're they're just anxious. Like they're they're not necessarily quiet or introverted. They are just afraid to show their personalities. So mm -hmm. we all had different personalities and um we we could fully be ourselves um when we were comfortable and we could be animated and and have a lot of fun together. But it just when we weren't comfortable, we were very, very quiet. I mean, like, 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 you know, like everybody, you know, I have a different level or different <laughs> variation of my personality, depending on a hundred different factors of the environment that I find myself in, you know, mm -hmm. like I am, you know, I, I might be more on the end of I'm more myself more of the time than the average person. But like, I'm not like, I'm not, there's things I say to you guys, I don't say to anybody. Nor should you. <laughs> Nor should you ever, ever. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Definitely not. And, you know, it's like, and then I go and I, and I have like, I have my, my, the guys that I ride bikes with. And like, that's a slightly different thing. And then, you know, we have like, you know, I have a work personality where we interface with like clients and like, and that's different. And, and definitely like, don't mix any of those. And, yeah, and like, and you, you know, you, you like, you, you add and subtract different, different little parts of you that are, that are necessary depending on where you are. Mm -hmm. And like, uh, so I, I find it, I, I, at the same time as I understand that people think that if you have selective mutism, that you just like, you're just, you're the most quiet person because I understand how the brain makes that leap to that. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, hearing you say that, and go, oh, that's not really the case or, or, or might not be the case. Mm. I go, of course. You know, it's, you know, it's funny though, is, um, yeah, not to keep bringing up our friend, but you know, but, why, uh, why don't we put a name to it? Why don't we put a name to it so that, yeah. so that the next time you want to bring it up, it, you really just don't want to say the name. So we're, so let's just call them, uh, let's call them, um, uh, Jackson. Uh, no, 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 no. We got, we got to go something like, like Snorlack. Okay. Okay. So your friend Snorlax. Snorlax. Yeah. There you go. So, uh, Snorlax was like, Snorlax to me had a, had an obvious personality was, was funny, both funny and incredibly smart. I mean, like you're, I, you're definitely gonna be funny if your name's Snorlax for sure. <laughs> and which is, which is interesting because I always like, I think when I was a kid and I, and I looked at Snorlax, I thought, oh, they're just, they're, they're. They're so much smarter than the rest of us that like, totally. that like, yeah. you know, they're, they're just mature and a level above us that like, you know, maybe it's just hard. They, they're like, we're not even worth their time to some extent. <laughs> yeah, like, totally. you know, like, like yeah. it's, it's funny though, because like there's this personality like where like, but like you love them for it. Like you appreciate mm -hmm. that aspect of them and you don't feel like, oh, that person's weird or different, even though like there is something very different about them, which I wanted to throw to you Jen and ask like at what point did you realize that you like had this thing that was different about you hmm. I think I always knew I or maybe I thought that I was different from other kids from the very beginning which is actually probably part of why I was holding back because I felt like I was kind of this imposter very different from other kids so I think I was always very aware that like oh, I'm not like everybody else. But I think I overestimated that even. I thought my real personality could never be accepted. Like I could never be myself and have things be okay. So I think I actually overestimated how how different maybe that I was. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's something that I've sort of uncovered in therapy, which is like, you know, like you guys know me as the person that I am when even even when I'm like, 
my genuine self around you guys, I'm still masking. Like there are parts of me that I learn about myself in therapy where I'm like, wow, it's a, takes a lot of energy to be the person that I am every day in this world. And like, are you, are you like saying you're a superhero? <laughs> no, but, but have, sometimes I feel like superpowers. Is this an alter ego that we're looking at right now? <laughs> no, but it's, it's funny because then when you start to learn these things about yourself in therapy and you, you learn about like how you've masked for so long in your life, um, you know, even when I would go and tell like my partner, like, oh, there's this thing about me that I, that I learned and I feel like is really true to me. She might be like, no, that's not true to you. Like, I know you as this person. You're this type of person. And you're like, oh, but that's like, I'm spending energy trying to be that type of person. <clears throat> like, really, mm. there's a deeper layer. And like, mm. there's a part of me that like, even like, you don't know that per- part of me because I don't know that part of me. Like, I'm just meeting them. And I know they're there, but like, by all accounts, the things that you see are like, you know, some form of masking that I've been doing you know, almost my entire life. And maybe to your point, Jen, like maybe you were just good at being you in a way too. Yeah. Like I didn't know how to mask when I was very little. I think right. actually that's how I started to come out of it was I learned how to mask. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah. I had to also go through a period of time where I had to work on that because I, I thought, Oh good. I, I, I can learn how to like put on a, a personality that I thought other people might like. Hmm. Whereas when I was little, I, I had no idea how to do that. So I was just like, well, I better, better not say anything. Um, but until I learned how to mask, I, I didn't communicate at all. Can you can you walk us through that? Like, Good job, Brian. At, at what point? Good job about what? Everything you just said there. You just like, you just... <laughs> you just like totally nailed. You just it. unmask you, the mask. You learn you learn things going through therapy <laughs> about yourself that That's I think true, a lot yeah. of a lot of people would relate to if they just went to therapy and learned them about themselves too. <laughs> so can you can you walk us through that process of like trying to come like of of a learning to sort of mask in a way that allowed you to come out and start to use your voice? Um, like what age did that begin? What do you, was there a catalyst to that? shift or you know just take us through that that entire process yeah so I I was about 17 and I think there was a combination of things that occurred together um I had a lot of really good people in my life at that point who were treating me really really well like like teachers who were just really kind to me and um I was kind of growing in my friendships with these um other girls who also uh had selective mutism and and they were really great friends. So um, I was becoming more and more comfortable there. And I think like I just started believing more so that the world was a, a good, safe place. And also I started like fearing death quite a bit. I had like this kind of existential dread that was starting to grow in me because I recognized that like I wasn't living fully like I felt like I had an unlived life I was avoiding a lot of things in life kind of missing a lot of opportunities and I felt very like panicked about the idea of if I died would I be happy with my life I I didn't feel like I would have been so that mixed with some existential stuff and I think maybe just my age too Mm. like at some point some chemicals shifted and I kind of switched from being in this freeze state to this fight or flight state where like I could somewhat function in a fight or flight state like it was difficult Hmm. but I could start to challenge myself and um yeah I started to learn I started to like look to others to see like how did others engage and and the funny thing is I I, when I look back I think well I didn't really need to do that I was okay how I was and like at home I I related fine to others but I didn't think that so I thought I had to put on something in order to be accepted and I started to learn how to do that. Do you do you think that I mean maybe this is kind of a a, a crazy question that's that you know you, you probably don't have an answer for but do you think that they're like do you think hormones played a role in that? You know like the eight like seven a 17 year old girl like you've you're you know you're 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 transitioning at that point in your life for sure. Um maybe in like the later stages of that of the that transitional period but like do you think perhaps like puberty and 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 hormones kind of I don't know played any kind of role in in shifting the way that you 
you thought about things or, or like saw the world and, and that in turn was having maybe an effect on, on the way that you were like able to use your voice? I think so. Yeah. Like, uh, sometimes I think of being a teenager, I think of like, oh, you think you're like invincible. And I think some of that maybe what had started to bubble up in me, like if I were driving, I wasn't worried about getting into a car accident. Like, you know, like, like that, that kind of invincible feeling. I wonder if that did give me an extra kind of confidence boost that I needed to, to be able to challenge myself. Jerry, did you have notes on that or something? Uh, uh, or <laughs> it sounded at first that out of left field that you were like, do you think your period had something to no, do with it? Well, and no. I was like, whoa. Well, no, no. That like, was like, she, <laughs> that I hear what you're saying. I mean, now. Jen, Jen, I didn't, but Jen, Jen, <laughs> like specifically was like, it was, I was around 17. And then you started like, you started talking about just seeing, like seeing other people in a different way. And, and I just started to think of like, oh, well, you know, it's, you know, that is, I mean, well, hormones, I, hormones have, a hormones have massive, such a fucking totally, huge I, 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 shift in the way that on you every on everything thing on everything. everything your physical body yeah. your mental like your, your the mental side of things like I yeah. mean it's it's just such a and the, and the timing is kind of like oh, interesting yeah. like you you're going through not only are you going through that transition of starting to use your voice but it's happening at the same time that your body is physically going through this like wild transformation of of hormones and did, you know did you um. Did you feel like when you started to communicate, or no, I get um, maybe this now. I feel like I'm. I've just made a realization that answers my question, but I'll continue anyway. <laughs> you know, you're talking at home, so like you know, like you, you, it's not like you need to learn how to communicate. Mm. You like you've got that skill. It's not like you're starting from scratch. You're not having to like you know look at two people talking in the classroom and like take notes as like oh like subtly nodding like oh like. Periodic eye contact, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like you know how yeah. to communicate. It just has to, ha- it just has to happen. I think I thought I didn't, though. Like at home, I had pretty good social skills, but then in other settings, when I first started to engage with people, my social skills were quite low because I, I was sort of starting from scratch because I thought. My personality as it was at home was not acceptable. So I thought I have to put something else on and I have to build that from scratch. So I was kind of like Mm. mimicking other people or like I kind of was doing that where I was like looking to see, okay, what do people do in these kinds of situations? So it was really like a lot of maybe like unnecessary work on my end. Yeah, Um, And is that conscious or is that subconscious? It was pretty conscious. Interesting. Because like, because when you, when we talk about masking, like I, I, um, I don't, I can honestly say that I don't think I do that now. I don't think I mask now, but I very much Let's mask. get Gabor Mate in here and he'll fucking, <laughs> he'll, he'll tell you, you I, do, I, real I ver- quick. I very much, yeah, and I, and, and I honestly, and okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to push back, but I honestly think that that would be wrong. I, I, I very much, Fair enough. I very much did as a teenager, like extreme, like on, in like a, in like a very like sports sort of like alpha show people i'm strong you know that sort of way bullying um no no <laughs> yeah <laughs> no not bullying yeah yeah we know <laughs> and um and so i very much i very much understand that but i but i but i didn't i didn't know that until i until mm. i stopped masking and it wasn't really until that period that i actually realized what i was doing like all of that was subconscious but i very much so was subconsciously, you know, taking notes on how people interact and mm. all of these things, these social cues and trying to, you know, trying to figure out subconsciously, mm. like how, how do I do this and portray myself as, you know, top of the pile or whatever. Just, and, yeah. j- just to clarify on like what my understanding of masking is too, is that there's like a conscious masking where you're like, you know, in junior high or high school where you're like actively <clears throat> trying to put it, yeah. put out this like pro- projecting this like version of yourself that you want everybody to see and receive. But then there's also this like subconscious masking that happens mm-hmm. through like learned behaviors of like what you believe to be accepted acceptable by society and those aren't necessarily not part like they they become parts of you but also there's like an there's almost like an energy cost to being that version of yourself where like you know 
Yeah, you I, might in that context. I could. I. I would say that I do. I do have. I do have that. Right. Like you might. You might be like. You might be being your true, authentic self, quote unquote, in in some capacity. But it might take a lot of energy to be that straining your yourself. mana. Yeah, 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 yeah. I understand, and 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 like for you know, we dropped Kyle or we dropped Zay off at daycare this morning, and as we were walking up, we saw like at daycare, and then on my way from there to here, which is only like a five minute walk, because like the whole community of people, you know, we live in d- downtown Halifax. It's like it's when you leave the daycare, it seems like everybody with a child is like descending from all directions on this daycare <laughs> as yeah. you leave. And you see a ton of people that you know. And I said to Kyla, I went, man, I don't know if I can handle another social interaction before I get to the office. Like, it's too early in the morning. Dude, it's exactly that. I can't just stop. I can't stop and have small talk one, one more time. I can't do it. That's like one of those things where it's just like, it. I mean, you can do it. It just takes <laughs> a lot of energy. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, very interesting. Here we go. We're in our own little therapy session. Right? I know. I know. This is, this is very <laughs> cathartic. <laughs> favorite one-hit wonder or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have or that tv show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon now what if we could fix it i'm francesca ramsey and i'm delon grant and after 20 years of friendship we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called let me fix it each episode we'll dig into our favorite celebrities shows and brands of yesteryear and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today think of our show as an intervention but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You start to navigate your way out of this, this selectively silent space in your, in wow. your like late teens. That's beautiful alliteration, Jeff. Um, and but I'm I'm kind of curious about how how this experience, you know, which which I mean. That's over the span of quite a, quite a number of years, where where you were not using your voice, and then all of a sudden you start to kind of you start to find a way to use it. But in the years in the years following that that period of time when you were seventeen, and you started to kind of like started to speak up. In retrospect, now, like, how do you think that period of time of of being silent had an effect on? the other parts of your mental well-being. You know, like did you did you suffer from any other types of anxieties or like, you know, or or you know, have any other sort of mental health issues kind of arise from from a, a, a from recovering from a, you know, years of 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 not being capable of like of using your voice to communicate with others? Yeah, um before I started to use my voice, I started having a lot of panic attacks where I would feel like I wasn't real and everything around me was real, but I wasn't, I didn't exist. And so that, that was a bit distressing and that would happen um, sometimes for like several days in a row or um, every few weeks I would experience that. Um, When I went to university, I was still quite new to socializing with larger groups of people. So I was, I'd say I was very like sheltered and almost childlike. Like I, right. yeah, very right. naive, like, like I would believe anything that people would tell me. And like, I just was very, um, very like uh, impressionable, I suppose. I would look up to other people and kind of gauge like, if, if, if how I was being was okay. Um, and that was, that was a very stressful transition going from small town home to like moving to university. So like I developed uh, anorexia nervosa for, for two years hmm. uh, when I first moved in to university. And I think that was just because like the experience was so overwhelming that like that caused um, <coughs> me to have to rely on something to just manage my anxiety. And that ended up being how that, laid out but once right. I recovered from that um yeah my mental health journey has been okay since uh, but I've, I've learned and picked up a lot of strategies on the way and as I've gained friendships and gained more strategies um 
things have just been getting better over time. Right. And your With, and your education, you know, like led you to um, you know, the mm-hmm. the 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 um job that you're in now, the the career that you're in now. Mm-hmm. Like is that what do you feel like that's that's that 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 choice is divorced from your experience or is it very much tied into it? I think it does tie in because one thing I did when I was first starting to speak to people was I sought out my own therapy. Um, and so I loved the experience. Like there was something about the therapy experience that I just really enjoyed. Like two people talking about things that outside of the therapy setting, those things don't get talked about. So it was like a bunch of rules that exist in society got dropped and we were able to just talk for real with each other. And there was something about that that really spoke to me. So like, I've always enjoyed just like the therapy room as a client or as the therapist. So like, I loved it so much that I became very, very interested in learning how to, how to be the person who's, who's guiding those conversations and um, helping others to, uh, work through any any difficulties that they're having. Mm-hmm. I, I th- this is kind of jumping backwards a little bit, but I am curious about, um, especially like when you were talking about that transitional period into university, which like, you know, uh, I think for a lot of people, for a lot of people who haven't like experienced any kind of like direct trauma as a as a as a young person, that transition of like leaving home, going to university, especially like if you're going to a new city or a new country or a new whatever, is real. It's like a really challenging situation for a lot of young people. Um, and I don't think they're expecting it. It's like there's all this, this excitement. And then when it happens, you're like, oh, shit. I'm, a, I'm on my own. Like I'm, I'm here doing this by myself. So like in that transitional period where you were dealing with, you know, the anorexia and, and you were, you're, you know, you're still trying to find your footing when it comes to your voice. <clears throat> how did that, how, and even up until, you know, even into your, like, as you age, like how did, how did those things have an effect on your dating life? It was, you know, was that something that was on your radar at all at that period of time or, or were you more so just trying to like survive at that point? Yeah, I was dating somebody in my first year of university, and uh, we actually had started uh, writing to each other first. So we would we we built up a relationship in the beginning by writing back and forth, uh, making up stories together and stuff. And uh, yeah, I I remember like when I would go on dates or walks with him, I would always have to carry like water with me in case. I started to kind of feel that choking sensation. Mm. And um, sometimes like if we entered into a space where there was like potential conflict, I would feel myself like completely shutting down and I would not be able to speak for a little bit, which was pretty like uncomfortable for him as well, I think. Mm. Um, but oh, like over time that, that also dissipated as well. But um yeah, I, I did. I, I did start dating and that was the first time that I had dated. I was 17 and I had, um, for the, for the first time, I mean, so, um, before that I'd had had guys ask me out and I just wouldn't answer them. Like (laughs) (laughs) there was one boy in grade eight who, who asked me out, he was a new kid. Um, and he didn't know, and he asked me out and I just looked at him and smiled and didn't say anything. And I remember him coming back later and saying, are you going to answer my question? I never, I never did. I feel like I probably owe him a free therapy session because (laughs) he's all fucked up now. (laughs) I think it all goes back to when I, (laughs) this girl just looked at me. Yeah. I gathered up all that courage to ask her out. (laughs) And he never spoke again. (laughs) Do you, do you remember in that moment? Do you remember like being like, oh, this is cute. Like, I'd like to say yes or no, I don't like this guy at all. And I'd like to say no and not being able to to respond in that situation or or did you feel anything at all about it? Yeah, that's a great question because I, I feel like I had a lot of situations like that where someone would ask me a question and I wouldn't answer them. And the reality was I didn't know what the answer was. Like, I felt like I couldn't access the correct answer. Mm. So I... I still don't know if I wanted to date him or not thinking back. I don't know. Like (laughs) that sounds, that sounds kind of scary dating somebody when you 
aren't speaking. But like at the time, I didn't really, I wasn't thinking secret thoughts in my head. I was just like, oh, I don't know. I, I, what's the protocol here? I've never mm. been in this situation before. Yeah, mm. and it was Channing Tatum. That, that's the that's the crazy part. Is, uh, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. <laughs> who, who knows where where, where it would have gone? Um, is what was is conflict? As you mm. you know, as you went to mm. university, and as 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 you know, the selective mutism seems to be like dissipating over time. Um, was conflict always something that sort of? Uh, stayed with you or uh, the, the, the experience of conflict that always, was that something that kept on bringing up the like, sort of like bringing that that, um, selective or as I feel like we've come to learn non-selective mutism <clears throat> to the surface. And, and does that, does that ever persist with you or do you ever get sensations now in, I, I have no idea how, how old you are. So I don't really know the context of the timeline, but like, do you ever get those feelings now where you're like, oh, I feel like this, I'm getting that feeling like I could feel like I can't speak? Yeah, I, I'm 29 now. And um, over time, I've learned to deal with conflict in different ways. But I, I still feel like, although I maybe won't vocally shut down, I might have a difficult time communicating in the moment mm. if I'm upset about something like um there are certain emotions that I might have more difficulty with like like showing anger or um even showing sadness sometimes like I I it will take me a bit to gain a comfortability with somebody to be able to show those emotions mm -hmm. I'm really curious Jen what do you think your like 16 year old self would think if you went back and told her now that you were on a podcast and talked to three strangers for an hour about your life and the most intimate details of it. Right before having to go in to speak with a client because you're a psychotherapist. Now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I would not have believed that. I don't think, <laughs> I think I like, I just assumed uh, kind of like a, um, a bleak future sometimes like mm. I, when I was a kid I think at 17 when I started to fear that death that's when I really rethought that and I was like oh like what if what if and I think the the positive image of what could be was the thing that like I was so pulled to that yeah. it helped me to challenge myself um, and 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 work work on it. I, I believed I could work on it. Whereas before I, I didn't believe that I could, I didn't believe that mm. I had that in me at all. So yeah. at 16, yeah, I would, uh, I would be pretty shocked. I feel like, I feel like you kind of answered this in that, in that question or in, in the, in the couple of times that you've mentioned this sort of like ex this moment where you felt this existential sort of crisis or, um, or experience that influence that started to influence <laughs> you. But, but we you know before you, before that happened, you know, were there, were there any thoughts when you were on your own or at home where you were like, man, when am I going to speak? When am I going to start doing that? Mm. Like, did you think about, did that, did you ever think about that? Or, or was it just like when you weren't in that situation, it just wasn't something that you thought much about? It wasn't something that I thought I could ever do until I reached that point when mm. I was 17. And, um, I had been reading, uh, a self-help book about anxiety and they had suggested exposure therapy. So I started to purposefully expose myself to social situations and like force myself to speak, mm. even though I felt very uncomfortable. So like the first time I, I remember the first time speaking to another student who kind of like was her locker was next to mine. And I remember like my whole body was just like, shaking Whoa. i was so anxious but i was like all right and i said hi and she just rolled with it she was so gracious she just was like oh hey like she's like okay holy like, shit like, she talks <laughs> three years nothing and most people react but to me i was like oh man i didn't think i'd get this far like what now like i said yeah, right. hi in this conversation but now, um, and most people were so so gracious mm. and others would just look at me like stunned like others yeah I didn't know what to do when I started talking because that, that is not what they, Yeah. I don't think people would have even known that there was someone in there. Like right. I, 
Yeah. You know, I get, of course, understandably so. I didn't show any part of myself. So to suddenly start talking to somebody, uh, yeah, it's a bit alarming, I think, for some people. But for uh, for, for a lot of people, too, they they just rolled with it. And I'm quite, quite grateful for that. That was yeah. I feel like that. People. I feel like she was probably like, it was me. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Like, like there was something about me. Yeah, yeah. How yeah. funny would it be, though, like, if you just, if, like, the first time you started speaking, you just you just like immediately became like the roast master of the school. Like you just, just roasting everybody left, right, and center. I was like, oh my God, she's so mean, but I so think, funny. I think we all kind of have that, that, that image though of like the, the, the person who like doesn't speak when they do say something, it's going to be profound. It's like silent Bob, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's just like, yeah. it's not until the very end, but yeah. when it happens. Oh my God, silent Bob has looked at mutism. Yeah. 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 So does... Pen or teller, whichever one. Oh, uh, uh, whichever the small one is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I think I, I'm glad that you brought that up because um, it, it was actually quite difficult speaking up for the first time in a setting where like everyone knows you as a person who doesn't talk. And I think yeah. like going to university, at least I felt like I had a bit of a blank slate. Like people totally. weren't expecting that from me, so it was a little bit less uncomfortable to start speaking to somebody because. They don't know. Yeah. University, you hit university, you just start speaking with a Cockney accent. And it's like, yeah, yeah, the yeah, world I'm is from, your oyster I'm at that point. I'm from north of England or north of London. I mean, that's one of the reasons why the why the university experience can be so liberating. Yes, for some. Because, yes. It's yeah. because you're going there with going, I get a hey, new role I, of the dice. This whole ocean of people that I've never yeah. met before. I can, I can, you know, create. My own experience. Yeah, I love. I can respect into a paladin oathbreaker if I want to. <laughs> I don't know what you just said, I but I know that it was RPG related. <laughs> That's all I know. Uh, Jen, what would you say is the uh, what would you say is the biggest thing that selective mutism has taken away from you? I say, um, my elementary school and my high school. There were a lot of really great people who I never got to know very well. Mm. Uh, so I, I I think I'd say human connection, human relationships, and just like, oh, like sometimes I, I think back and I think, oh, it would have been cool to have more experiences with these people or, or get to know um, the people who I was surrounded by. I was surrounded by a lot of really, really, really great, um, kind and mm. interesting people. So I, I, I kind of regret that a little bit. What would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you? think a lot of appreciation and um just I guess understanding so if I meet somebody who's got anxiety I don't assume much about their personality at all if I see someone who's kind of stressed I I kind of like appreciate that this is a stressed version of this person this is maybe mm. not who they who they are and it makes me more curious to, to, to get to know people who might be a bit more quiet or shy at first mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well <clears throat> uh like i said at the very beginning of the recording um uh, i'm glad that uh i'm glad that you found your voice because um you you're an extremely interesting person and and you're an absolute delight to to converse with and uh i think i speak for for all three of us when i say that we are really grateful that you've uh, taking the taking the you know the leap to jump on a podcast with a couple of strangers and 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 talk about your experience and knowing that that experience is going to go out to thousands and thousands of people um, I mean it's just a really it, it, it just feels like a really cool thing to be a part of to be able to have this conversation with you uh, especially talking about you know this this history that you had with with struggling with finding your voice and now you have this beautiful voice that you can communicate with and and that you use to help others like it's just it really is a beautiful story mm -hmm. and uh we're really really stoked that you took time out of your schedule to sit down and chat with us thank you so much jen oh thank you yeah it's been it's been great so thanks for having me on Well, there you go, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. As always, we are coming at you Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And if you are a fan of the podcast and you want to support the podcast, there's a number of ways you can do that. First of all, you can leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. We love reading them. You can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app, if that's where you're listening. 
Or if you want to join the conversation, hop on over to our Discord. The link is in the show notes of this episode. And uh, we have a lovely little community over there of sickos and non-sickos all hanging out, chatting. And uh, hey, you could even help produce the podcast over there if you want. You can, again, find that link in the show notes below. Sick Boy Podcast is produced and co-hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and Brian Stever. The show is managed by Jeffrey Lonis over at Talent Bureau. The sound design of this episode is brought to you by Donovan the CPAP Morgan. And, of course, the theme music is from the band Take Part. That is it for this week. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.